And we are live. What's up, guys? Welcome to FedIt. Today, we're going to be covering the Merchant of Death. Victor Bout, man, as you guys know, he's hitting the news all over the place because of the trade with Brittany Griner. But who is he really? Let's get into it. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, okay, guys? HSI. The cases that I did mostly were human smuggling and drug trafficking. No one else has these documents, by the way. Here's what FedEx covers. Dr. Lafredo confirmed lacerations due to stepping on glass. Murder investigation. He's reaching in his jacket. You don't know. And he's positioning. Been on February 13, 2019. You're facing two counts of premeditated murder. Racketeering and Rico conspiracy. Young, young slime life here and after referred to as YSL. The defendants is, uh, six nine. And then this is Billy Seiko right here. Now, when they first started, guys, six nine ran. I'm a fed. I'm watching this music video. You know, I'm bobbing my head like, hey, this shit lit. But at the same time, I'm pausing. Oh, wait, who this? Right? Oh, who's that in the back? Firearms and violent crime. A.K.A. Pushaisi violated. You're ordered to stay away from the victim. Rapper Pushaisi arrested after shooting at King of Diamonds, Miami Strip Club, injured one person. This is the one that's going to fuck him up because this gun is not traceable. Well, what happened at the gun range? Here's your boy 42 Doug right here on the left. Okay. Sex trafficking and sex crimes. They can effectively link him to paying an underage girl. I'm going to lock my fifth window. Right. And well, the first bomb went off right here. Inspired by Al Qaeda, two terrorists, brothers Dzokar Sarnev and Tamer Lin Sarnev, when the cartel shipped drugs into the country. As this guy got arrested for um, espionage, okay, trading secrets with the Russians for monetary compensation, the largest corrupt police bust in New Orleans history. The days of the police are gone. So he was in this bad boy. We're going to go over his past, the gang ties, so that this all makes sense. All right, we're back. What's up, guys? Welcome to FedEx. Today, we're going to be talking about Victor Bout, guys. So we're going to get right into it. Um, let me go ahead and adjust some of this stuff. Actually, well, hold on. I got a special guest with me. Uh, Christina, you want to introduce yourself to the people? Been on many times. Yeah. I'm Christina. Um, if you guys want us to cover a case, just contact FedEx1811 on Instagram. Bam. All right. Sure and sweet. You have anything else you want to tell the people? Um, we got some info for Young Dog. Yeah. yeah actually, actually, yeah. Some they, they, info. She went out to uh, Memphis with uh, Zena. Yeah. They went ahead and gathered some documents, guys. So the Young Dolph is coming very, very soon, man. As you guys know, we had sent people over there to go ahead and get documents for us. They start asking a bunch of questions. So you know, when you want anything done right, you got to do it yourself. So Christina and Zena went up there for me uh, last week, and uh, they yeah. went ahead and gathered the documents. And uh, shout out to them for doing that for me. And uh, yeah, it was a pain, but she was able to get a couple of the documents, right? And we got some exclusive information that no one else really knows. Yeah, we have some information that I don't know if we have to talk about it before we disclose it. Yeah, we'll f- we'll figure it out for you. We're going to disclose more documents them all. soon because they they go to court this week and next week for the first time. All right, cool. So. Um, anyway, guys, so today's topic we're going to be covering uh, Brittany Griner and Victor Bout, and uh, some of you guys may know who Victor Bout is. Some of you guys don't, so I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a very thorough breakdown on how bad this dude really is, man. They didn't call him the merchant of death for no reason, okay? So first, we're going to start off with the news, okay? As you all know, shout out to CNN because they only report (laughs) certain things. But um, this is as of today. Brittany Griner arrives in the U.S. after being released from Russian custody in a prisoner exchange, okay? Um, Brittany Griner, the American basketball star detained by Russian authorities in February, has safely returned to the United States after being released from custody in a prisoner exchange. You guys might be wondering, well, who is Brittany Griner exactly? Guys, here she is, okay? 
Brittany Yvette Griner, born October 18th, 1990. She's 30. She's about to be 32. Or no, she just hit 32. Is an American professional basketball player from Phoenix. Uh, from the Phoenix. Well, hold on. Let me enlarge this for y'all. Uh, from the Phoenix Mercury of the WNBA. Uh, she played basketball, college basketball for the Lord uh, for the Baylor Lady Bears in Waco, Texas. She is the only NCAA basketball player to both score 2,000 points and block 500 shots in 2002. The three-time All-American was named the AP Player of the Year and the most outstanding player of the Final Four, helping Baylor to win the national championship. So, you know, obviously, when it comes to, uh, you know, basketball, she does her thing as far as, well, in the female world. Uh, Griner led the United States. Uh, let's see here. Let's go here. Okay. In February 2022, Griner was detained by Russian customs officials after cartridges containing hashish oil were found in her luggage. She was later arrested on smuggling charges. Griner has been uh, had been entered entering uh, Russia to play with the Russian Premier League during the WNBA offseason. Her trial began on July 1st, and she pleaded guilty to the charges on August 4th. She was sentenced to nine years in prison. In November 2022, Griner was transferred to the Russian penal colony IK-2. IK during this time, U.S. officials stated that she was wrongfully detained. On December 8th, Griner was released by Russia in a prisoner exchange for the Russian arms dealer Victor Bout, who was convicted of conspiring to kill Americans and had served 10 years of a 25-year sentence. Now, who is Victor Bout? Here he is right here, guys. Victor Antelayevich Bout, okay, uh, born January 13, 1967, is a Russian arms dealer and entrepreneur and former Soviet military translator. This guy speaks a bunch of different languages, guys. He speaks Russian, English, uh, Portuguese. I, he, I think he speaks Farsi and potentially even Arabic. Uh, multilingual. He's, he served as a linguist for the Soviet Union. All right, back in the day, and we're going to go over that in in, uh, in this breakdown. But anyway, uh, from so uh, he was um, he used his multiple companies to smuggle weapons, starting during the collapse of the Soviet Union from Eastern Europe to Africa and the Middle East during the 1990s, early 2000s. Bow gained the nicknames the Merchant of Death and Sanctions Buster after British government minister Peter Hayne read a report to the United Nations 2003 about Bout's wide-reaching operations, extensive clientele, and willingness to buy, bypass embargoes. Okay, guys, so they had this dude sanctioned out, out the wooza, and he still was able to, you know, get business done and make that money. All right, and uh, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. In a U.S. sting operation, Bout was arrested on March 6, 2008 in Thailand on terrorism charges by the Royal Thai Police in cooperation with American authorities and Interpol. All right. We're going to go into this more detail. But now you guys know who these individuals are. So Griner, 32, arrived at the Joint Base San Antonio Fort Sam Houston. The largest field as well. Okay. Uh, Texas early Friday and was taken to Brook Army Medical Center for a routine evaluation. A State Department official told CNN. U.S. officials who met Griner said she was in good spirits and incredibly gracious. National Security Council spokesperson John Kirby told CNN. Griner stepped off the plane shortly after 5.30 a.m. Eastern Time and Kelly uh, at Kelly Field. All right. So um, here she is getting off the plane, guys. Actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and show the exchange first. This was done in uh, UAE, right? Uh, this is where they did the exchange. And I'll just mute it because it's a bunch of weird-ass static. As you guys can see, here's Victor Bout walking like a G. Here's Griner walking. And this is them facilitating the exchange. Is he smiling? This guy? Yeah. Yeah, it looks he like it. Is. And these... More than likely are probably Russian KGB because they got their faces blurred, right? And uh, there we go, Griner making it back out. She's pretty tall. I wonder how tall she is. She's Let's six see. nine. She's what? Six nine. She's six nine. Yeah, she's taller than you. God damn. <laughs> yeah, six foot nine. Holy! And she weighs two hundred five pounds. She weighs as much as I do. 
Um, see, six foot nine, professional athlete. Some of the chicks that come on this goddamn show try to talk smack to me, and it's like, bruh, y'all weigh two hundred pounds, you five foot fucking three, unacceptable. That's obese. Yeah, man, unacceptable. <laughs> so, uh, so to be honest with y'all, the re- a lot of people, right, and uh, you know, Biden, rightfully so, has been getting a lot of heat in the in the news because he didn't go ahead and secure Paul Nicholas Whalen's release from Russia. Uh, he's a Canadian-born former United States Marine with U.S., British, Irish, and Canadian citizenship. He was arrested in Russia on December 28, 2018 and accused of spying. On June 15, 2020, he was received a 16-year prison sentence. And guys, we did not get him out, but we got Brittany Griner out. So, big Al Biden, man. Al fucking Biden for not getting back one of our soldiers who was over there, okay, in Russia on U.S. orders, following the chain of command, serving his country. Meanwhile, we got someone over here like Brittany Griner, who broke laws, right? <laughs> she broke Russian laws to smoke pot. And, you know, we ended up prioritizing her over a real American here over here. So it is what it is, man. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think Griner hasn't even, she, she's taken a kneel a couple of times when the national anthem was said. So... L for Brittany Griner. But anyway, it is what it is. The point is, guys, is that this whole situation, um, this is the equivalent of charging, a, you know, trading a holographic first edition Charizard for a fucking Pikachu. This is ridiculous. But, you know, my personal opinions aside, I'm going to go ahead and break down a documentary. You know, me and Christina saw this a couple weeks ago, and I thought you guys would love it. Um, from a show called Declassified, which um, is going to go over the investigation on Victor Bell. And you guys are going to see. It's actually really good, too. How bad this dude really is. And um, why this trade, quite frankly, was a huge L for the United States. Um, you know, to trade away, a, a <laughs> quite frankly, a damn, damn near terrorist for a WNBA player is very stupid. But, hey, you know what? I'm going to take my opinions aside. I want to go ahead and you guys, I'm going to show you guys this documentary. You can tell me what y'all think. All right. So anyway, without further ado, now that you guys know who all the players are, you know who Brittany Griner is, you know who Victor Bout is to a degree. You don't know too, too much about him yet unless you've done your research and you know who Paul Whelan is. Let's go ahead and get into the documentary. All right. The Merchant of Death Declassified. In the 90s, there is chaos and conflict around the world. And if someone had the ingenuity and the drive, they can capitalize on the chaos in these conflict zones by supplying weapons. People are looking to see who was moving the weapons into the war-torn areas, and constantly the name Victor Boot came up. Victor poured gasoline on the conflicts and provided the weaponry so that the people in these countries could slaughter one another. What didn't bother him was to support the good guys or the bad guys. And if he had the opportunity to support both sides, that meant more money for him. This guy was the merchant of death. And nobody was able to touch him. As a former FBI. And these are um, DEA agents that are speaking um, because it was the DEA that actually went ahead and took Victor Boot down. And I know some of you guys are wondering, like, wait, hold on, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> DEA, well, why, why is the DEA going after an arms trafficker? Well, we're going to uh, get into that here in a second. But the DEA had a very good angle with the FARC as to how they were able to um, kind of get this case going, a.k.a., as you guys know, a uh, Brazilian uh, paramilitary group. 
slash terrorists. A worldwide hunt is on for a Russian weapons dealer who U.S. authorities fear is every bit as dangerous as Osama bin Laden. Victor Boot is one of these incredibly dangerous figures. They don't care who they do business with, and they provide lethal weapons. Okay, so he's a group supervisor for the DEA. As you guys know, I've explained to you guys kind of how this works. Um, when it, a DEA, Homeland Security Investigations, FBI, it's all the same. A supervisor is a GS-14, okay? They supervise a group of agents. Typically, you know, if it's FBI, it's called a squad. If it's um, HSI, it's called a group. If it's um, DEA, it's called like an enforcement group, right? So uh, the supervisor typically supervises somewhere between five to ten special agents and or task force officers. They're the ones signing off on the reports. They're the ones, you know, facilitating, you know, paperwork going up the chain to get funding, to get memorandums through, whatever it may be. It's actual case agents that are the ones that actually investigate and do the case and lead the investigation. And then you got a supervisor that helps facilitate that. All right. So they're bringing in a couple of different DEA agents to talk about this. Happens to the cesspool of drug traffickers, terrorists, human traffickers. They're basically the engine behind those groups. He facilitates that death and destruction and the deaths of many innocents. What he did is the worst thing that I've ever experienced as a DEA agent. You know, the drugs are one thing because drugs can go away, but the weapons never go away. They, they live on. They continue to cause. All right. He's a part of the special operations division at DEA, uh, guys, which does a lot more um, international type uh, drug enforcement. OK, they're they're more concerned with being out uh, doing um, things internationally as conflict because nothing good comes out of a weapon. Victor Bo oh, my bad. Boot spread death and destruction all around the world with the weapons that he sold. Victor Boot's background is that he was part of the, the Soviet military machine, and that machine consisted of him attending a Soviet military school. Apparently a very good athlete, very, very bright, conscripted and went into the service. He picked languages up very quickly, eventually went to the institute where you study languages in Russia. He was an army translator. He also was based in Angola and Mozambique. So he saw what was going on in Africa. He saw the regimes that were operating there. He saw the vulnerability, the fragile governance. So after the fall of the Soviet empire, through his time in the military and other connections that he had developed, he knew that he could access Russian aircraft to transport cargo. And in 1991, Victor Boot starts his import-export business. As the Cold War ended, all these planes... And also, you guys got to remember what also happened in 1991. Well, the fall of the Soviet Union. And when the Soviet Union fell, guys, you got to understand that Russia had been stockpiling weapons throughout the Cold War, okay? They had a bunch of AK-47s all over the place, missiles, you know, anti-aircraft, um, you know, um, rocket launchers, all this stuff, right? So Victor Boot, right, what's he able to do? Oh, well, we got all these weapons going for cheap, fire sale. Everyone needs money. I'll buy these weapons from y'all for cheap. And then what does he do? He ends up transporting them over to other war-torn areas and adding fuel to the fire of war, okay? So Victor Boot, right, being an entrepreneur that he, I guess he is, and seizing an opportunity, he sees all these weapons pretty much on a sale. And he takes advantage, and you guys are going to see the empire that he's able to build up in the process. They're just laying around. 
and Victor saw an opportunity to move Western goods into the former Soviet bloc. Goods such as TVs, Coca-Cola, flowers, chicken. And from making money from doing this is when he saw an opportunity to build up his fleet of former Russian planes, and it went from there. So he starts with just, you know, bringing some regular stuff, but it's going to change here very soon. He bought his first plane at 25 years of age, and by 30, he was a millionaire. He became a, a transport king, in a sense. His access to planes, his ability with languages, caused him to have this kind of meteoric rise and expand his network all around the world. As he brought merchandise, not arms necessarily, into conflict zones. He also made connections and individuals, sometimes the warlords or those in those countries that were in power, needed weapons. And, and just so you guys know, as you guys know, I love using the inflation calculator. Uh, $1 million in 1991 is the equivalent to the purchasing power of approximately $2,188,000 uh, today, guys, in 2022. So uh, he was raking in the dough, man. 30 years old, millionaire, 1991. He was very willing to satisfy that need. That's Africa. Africa is where you may start off doing legitimate cargo. And the next thing it is, someone's approaching you saying, oh, well, you have the ability to move goods from point A to point B. Can you move weapons? And in these areas of the former Soviet bloc countries, there's just tons and tons of weapons that are sitting over there that are no longer needed. So if you need weapons to go with the planes, we can provide that. And Victor saw an opportunity to make money. I mean, he was already operating there doing legitimate commodities and cargo. But when he saw an opportunity to move weapons into Africa, that was an ability to make more money. What didn't bother him was to support the good guys or the bad guys. And if he had the opportunity to support both sides, that meant more money for him. Exactly. Victor Boot cared about money. Take Angola, for example. In 1994, Victor Boot sells weapons to both sides of the conflict in Angola. In 1995, Boot was selling weapons to the Taliban in Afghanistan. By 2000, Victor Boot had contracts with the government of Rwanda to arm and train their military personnel. He chose to do what he was doing and profit from it and left behind societies that were completely devastated. Children in Africa whose family networks were destroyed, child soldiers, he facilitated that. Estimates of people that were killed in these genocidal episodes in Africa and elsewhere, well over a million. I know for myself and Wim, we spent a lot of time in Africa. We saw firsthand why Victor is so incredibly dangerous. So we traded, <laughs> a, uh, you know, a WNBA player that could barely dunk for a dude that was responsible for million plus people dying in Africa in the 90s that could speak multiple languages was involved in intelligence for Russia. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. We haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet. Let's keep going. So big governments like the United States and the United Kingdom who were observing these atrocities, these movement of weapons from point A to point B, they felt a responsibility to, to address it. You know, it was such a big deal for the United States that the National Security Council got involved and NSA got involved and through their intelligence, the name Victor Boot kept coming up, coming up, coming up. And people were like, who is this guy? He came under 
a lot of scrutiny and his entire network was looked at. It was fleshed out and there was a concern that he was a major destabilizing figure. He shipped everything from tanks to rifles into civil wars and conflicts in numerous countries across Africa and Asia. Oh, look, CVS is actually covering him. I'm sorry, CNN is actually covering him. <laughs> said CVS. Uh, CNN is actually covering him appropriately for once. But this was back before uh, everyone was woke. <laughs> U.S., British and United Nations officials believe that as payment, he took drugs from Afghan buyers and diamonds from Africans. There was definitely, I think, the will to try to do something, but there was no... As you guys know, heroin, uh, one of the main uh, cultivators of heroin, Afghanistan. Nobody that had the ability to go after him in the areas that he was operating. The thing about Africa is there is no governance in Africa. And then the fear of getting in trouble is even less because who's going to cause you problems? People had to try to find a way to to stop that. In 2000, the United Nations Security Council restricted Victor Boot's movements based upon his involvement with supplying weapons to Charles Taylor in Liberia. But Victor Boot was an elusive figure that had between five and seven different aliases, spoke multiple languages, so he was able to navigate restrictions on his travel. In 2005, Office of Foreign Asset Control, OFAC, announced the freezing of Victor Boot's assets. But so they're going pretty hard, man. These are some big wigs over here in the government, like trying to fuck with his money. Let's see what happens. Going after assets doesn't put somebody in jail. So here, Victor Boot was still flying around doing all the things that he wanted to do with no fear of someone coming after him. How do you catch something like that? And then who would catch him? DEA's Special Operations Division, or SOD, focused on extraterritorial or foreign transnational criminals. In June of 2007, we arrested Manzer Al-Kassar. Kassar was a drug trafficker and an arms trafficker. That definitely gave us the confidence to go forward with Victor Booth. We had the ability to penetrate them and not wait for them to do more crimes, but to get involved and, and stop it. We're going to put boots on the ground. We're going to find a way. I could cover him as well uh, if you guys are interested. Let me know in the, in the chat if y'all want me to cover uh, Manzer as well. Another arms trafficker that DEA took down back in the day. Uh, pretty big case as well to infiltrate Victor Boot's organization and demonstrate that nobody is untouchable. Victor Boot is one of the most notorious weapons traffickers in the world. The weapons that he moved fueled conflict, started wars, people killing each other, child soldiers operating. Many people don't realize it because they don't see it and they don't live it. I live in these areas. I see the conflict that is still going on today. So what he did as a person is like the ultimate evil. As investigators, we wanted to roll up someone like that and bring them to justice in a transparent U.S. court. For the DEA, the Victor Boot case kicked off at the end of 2007. Lou was our group supervisor at the time, and I was one of the senior agents in the group. At the beginning of any investigation, you're looking at the target and trying to find a way to infiltrate his organization, get the evidence, and prosecute them in the United States. For the boot case, we wanted to use the FARC scenario. The plan was to propose about a 15 to $20 million weapons deal with the FARC. 
I got to give them credit. This was a creative way to kind of get their feet into the situation. You guys are going to see here in a second how they did it. The FARC was a designated foreign terrorist organization based in Colombia, promoting Marxist ideology. And the FARC has a real need for weapons. And the FARC had kidnapped Americans, had, had killed Americans, had anti-American sentiment. The U.S. government was supporting the Colombian government to combat the FARC. And the FARC had regressed from a Marxist regime to one of the significant drug trafficking organizations operating globally. So the scenario that we put together was that the FARC needed a number of weapons and specifically surface-to-air missiles to counter the U.S. helicopters flying in South America. The FARC was looking for weapons. They had drug proceeds that they wanted to pay for weapons. The proceeds are in Europe. We need to meet and discuss this. And these FARC members that he's going to meet with are actually undercover operatives. Sometimes you can use a DEA agent, but sometimes you have to use a source. My source, Carlos, was... Source is a confidential informant, guys, okay? Documented confidential informant. The right person for this case. He had the ability to talk the lingo of weapons. He had the ability to talk about money laundering. So he was able to pose as a, as a FARC person, not as a FARC gorilla, because FARC gorillas operate in the jungle. They shoot people. They're on the front lines. But the FARC needs people to move money, to sell drugs, to travel. And Carlos had that ability to pose himself as a FARC supporter. If we could get Carlos. And this is important, guys, that they were able to do that because here's the thing. You want to be able, when you introduce an informant or anything like that, and I'm telling you guys from my experience, with, you know, from running informants, et cetera, you always want to introduce your informant and or uh, the agent or whoever is being playing the undercover role as someone who is in a position of authority that can actually move money or be of an of use to the people that you're dealing with. You don't want to go ahead and be like, oh yeah, here, here's my informant. He's a grunt with the fuck. Like they're going to be like, oh, we don't do business with you. We need to go ahead and talk to a decision maker that can actually pay us or facilitate something for real that's worth our time. So it's very important that you um, have an image, you stick to the said image, and you're in a position where when you deal with the criminal, you're able to add value, which is hilarious saying it from that perspective. But that's really what it comes down to. That's how you're able to have the most negotiating power to put yourself in a position where you're able to effectively run that undercover role. In front of Victor Boot, we knew that he would be able to deliver. No doubt. Carlos was the kingest thing. Working with DEA is a dangerous business. It's not a game. It's not a movie. It's real life. You can get killed. I am part of the DEA, but I am not a DEA agent. I am the source. The history of Carlos is, is that he grew up in Central America. He got involved with the military, and as what happens in many of these countries is the military. He doesn't want to say it, but more than likely the guy's Colombian, because when you speak Spanish in a certain way, they're going to know if you're Colombian or not. Someone like Victor Boot, very smart. I don't know if he spoke Spanish. I don't think he did. Who's but Spain, he's going to go ahead and have his people that um, that can figure shit out. What? No, he speaks. He thinks he Spanish because he speaks multiple, multiple languages. Yeah, yeah, no, but I'm saying the source is probably from Colombia. Yeah. So yeah. they speak Spanish, like so. He, so he sounds like a Colombian. No, I, I'm thinking from like way back in the show thing. Yeah, okay. I don't Law enforcement, Spanish. politicians somehow get caught up in corruption, and Carlos found himself in in that situation. He was helping move money on behalf of the cartels. Estaba trabajando con personas que traficaban drogas. No me sentía bien. So on his own will, he went to DEA in this Central American country. And just so you guys know, DEA does have a huge office 
uh, in Columbia. It's a special agent in charge office. They got a couple hundred agents in DEA. So that tells you guys how big of a uh, drug trafficking problem the, the country of Colombia poses. I mean, hell, Col- most c- cocaine that comes into the United States is manufactured in Colombia. It comes in through Mexico uh, for the most part nowadays. Uh, you know, obviously in the 80s, it came in through Miami. But predominantly now, most of, I, I want to say some, somewhere like 60% of the drugs, uh, of the cocaine that comes into the United States comes in through Mexico. However, somewhere between like 89% of it is produced in, it, uh, produced in Colombia. Okay. So that's why they have an office down there. Got a lot of agents. And said, this is what I'm doing. And I I think it's in Bogota, if I'm not mistaken. I want to make amends. It's helpful if they do have that background where they understand the criminal networks and they've lived it. Because if you don't put the right source in front of a legitimate, knowledgeable bad guy, the target will sniff it out in a second. Do you know people who have been killed? Yes, I know. It's, it's very easy to get killed on, on this type of job. You don't know if the other person see that you are using a microphone. Anything can get wrong. These people are for real and they can kill you. For the boot investigation, the big challenge was how do we get close to him? Developing some sources, we were able to identify Andrew Smolian. Andrew Smolian was an old associate of Victor Boots going back decades. And they had stayed in contact over the years, had worked together from time to time, and Victor Boot clearly trusted him. We had to devise a plan to get to Andrew Simoleon. We did our research, and we were able to develop a person of interest who we could approach as a potential source of cooperator. And that person was a gentleman by the name of Mike Snow. And Mike Snow was a British pilot who had spent much of his time operating in Africa. Had never been a criminal, had been a member of the British Special Forces, but Mike Snow knew Andrew Smullyan very well. And Mike agreed to cooperate with, with us. He saw the atrocities that took place in Africa. He flew in Africa, spent a lot of time there, and felt that there was a need for him to get involved and, and stop it. The approach that we were going to take was Mike was going to reach out to Andrew Smolian and say, hey, are you still in contact with Victor? And if so, I have people that Victor would be very much interested in meeting. Mike is the type of guy to say, oh, I'll find out right now and gets on the phone and spoke to Somalia. And Somalian said, yes, Boris is still out there. Who's Boris? Boris is Victor Boot. That was his nickname. <laughs> the most Russian name ever. Boris. Uh, so this is good, man. They got so, the, so as you guys can see, right? When you're dealing with criminal organizations like this, a lot of the times you're dealing with different layers, right? So you got a source that knows a guy that knows the other guy. A lot of the times you got to peel the layers back and work your way towards the actual main target because criminals, especially higher level criminals, like someone like Victor Bout or Boot, they're going to insulate themselves uh, where you have to penetrate multiple layers to get to them. Okay. And this is how they keep themselves from getting in trouble, especially someone like him who's smart that understands that, yo, I'm selling millions of dollars worth of weapons a year. I'm saying, uh, you know, sanctioned in a bunch of different countries. I got to move intelligently. Andrew agreed to meet. Andrew flew into Curacao. It was a critical meeting for us because this is going to be the first time that Somalian met Carlos. And if Somalian didn't believe that Carlos was actually a FARC member, this wasn't going anywhere. Mike Snow would introduce Carlos to Smolian and propose a weapons deal that would be worth millions of dollars, hoping he would take it directly to Victor Booth. 
siempre que tú haces shot. algo tienes, tienes el, el, el miedo de que va a salir algo mal. Someone could say something that sounds a little bit off. Smolian could become suspicious. So at every stage, the whole thing could fall apart. January of 2008, our plan was to go to Curacao and have a meeting with Andrew Smolian, a first meeting. Carlos would be there representing the FARC as the FARC role player. His FARC associate. Remember, guys, he's a DEA informant. Another operative. And Mike Snow. Mike Snow was a DEA source that knew Andrew Smulian and vouched for Carlos and the other FARC role player. All right. So as you guys can see, so this is what's happening here. They have an informant that's put introducing another informant, right, to the crook. And that second informant is bringing a third guy who's going to be a FARC associate to build more credibility. Okay, so one source introduces another source to the bad guy. That source that's going to meet the bad guy, right? The fake fart guy is going to go ahead and bring another one to build a little bit more credibility. Now, okay, uh, I, I go a lot of y'all. I typically wouldn't have. I, I try to veer away from having informants introduce other informants because you typically want things compartmentalized and you don't want informants knowing who the hell the other guy is, right? And I'm assuming in this case, the sources probably didn't meet each other. Or they might have spoken on the phone so that they can have a clear cover story. But you typically want to go ahead and have the informant introduce an agent. But knowing DEA, they probably didn't have a Colombian agent that knows as much about the FARC and can be as smooth of a role player as their informant. So therefore, they just went ahead with the informant. Uh, <laughs> but hey, you know what I'm saying? There's many different ways to skin a cat, right? I typically wouldn't do this. Um because I don't like having that many informants' hands in an investigation. But uh, anytime you're doing things complex, sophisticated like this, hey, you gotta you gotta find you gotta find ways to make things happen. So I ain't gonna knock them for it. DEA believed, I believe, we all believed that Victor Boot would do arms business with anyone. An insurgent group, a terrorist group, whatever needs weapons, he has no qualms about providing those weapons. That's why Victor is so incredibly dangerous. My goal was convince uh, Smolian that we are for real, that we are from the FARC. That way he can go and, and tell Victor Booth about us. Andrew Smolian was a target. Smolian has no idea that the DEA is nearby, that Carlos is working with us. Smolian has no idea. It was a critical meeting for us because this is going to be the first time that Smolian met Carlos and if Somalia didn't bite it, if he didn't believe that Carlos was actually a FARC member, this wasn't going anywhere. It was a lot of pressure. If we failed in that, the case would go to the basement. The meeting took place in one of the hotels on Curacao. We went to one of the restaurants that was outside on the beach. So there was a perfect place to talk about business. When Somalian met with Carlos and they had that initial meeting, he looked at Carlos and said, well, you don't look like a FARC guy. What happened is that we are on the middle of the jungle and uh, we get a little bit, not me, the people that I, that I work. And that's when Carlos relayed back to him, like, no, I don't look like a FARC guy, but I'm a guy that supports the FARC. I go off and I collect the money. I help get the weapons and put the orders in. Andrew Smolian was testing the waters. At any moment, the whole thing could fall apart. 
someone could say something that sounds a little bit off. Yeah. Um, you know, informant meetings, guys, sources meeting with high level targets, you know, undercovers. This is always where things can it can make or break the case, man. Uh, I've done so many different uh, undercover operations, not as in me doing undercover. No, I was always the case agent. So I was always be, you know, overseeing the case. I'm the one running the thing. So I'd have my informants in there, maybe with a UC or whatever. I remember we did one. We were buying a bunch of guns uh, out in South Texas. And, you know, when you're meeting with, with dangerous people like this, man, the stakes are high. And, uh, you know, you want to you want to go ahead and secure prosecution. You want to secure evidence. And a lot of time it's contingent upon your sources skill set, the undercover skill set. And, um, you know, does it always go? No. You know, sometimes they'll just get spooked and not want to do the deal or uh, it takes months to set it up or things flake or things get fickle. So, um, you know, I can only imagine, it, you know, the, the crazy tension in the air here. Smulian could become suspicious. Victor definitely had coached Smulian to be very careful. So there was a lot riding on it. And we had several meetings down in Curacao between. You never want to come off too thirsty as well. Whenever you're, you know, doing these meetings, you want to make it very chill, relaxed. Sometimes the first tour meetings, you don't even really talk about criminal activity. You know, you're just shooting the shit to, to build rapport. Andrew, Mike Snow, and our two sources, Carlos and El Comandante. The Comandante played the role of a FAR commander, a military guy who was operating in the jungles fighting the Colombian government. He is another DEA source, former drug trafficker, knows an awful lot about the FARC, knows an awful lot about weapons and drug trafficking, and is a very, very believable jungle leader. And he talked about what weapons were needed, type of ammunition, and the list went on. It was a deal that would definitely pique Victor's interest. And we knew from our experience that a deal of this size would not take place unless they looked each other in the eye, they shook hands, and they knew who they were dealing with. We had to push it that Somalian go to Russia and actually meet with Boot to make it happen. And Smulian bought the FARC role players as members of the FARC. Smulian was very interested in the deal. So after Curacao, the plan was for Smulian to go to Moscow, we believe, to meet with Victor Boot and discuss this proposed deal. And what we agreed to do was meet Smulian in Copenhagen to see what we hoped Victor Boot thought about the deal. Once we got to Copenhagen, Carlos was in contact with Smulian. Smulian said that he was returning from Russia. There was a meeting that was set up. I met him on uh, Copenhagen, and he told me that the uh, person who's going to bring the weapons to us, that he want to know is we're for real. In Russia, Victor presented pictures to Andrew Somalia and said, OK, which one of these FARC commanders did you meet with? So, guys, hold on, man. This right here, as you guys can see, like, whoa, like now. They're actually like doing their homework, making sure are these guys legit, et cetera. And this happens a lot where they'll test the informants and or the agents. So you got to be on your game. You tell me photographs of all the senior officers who tell me identify the people you saw. I said, I can't. <laughs> of course, there was no pictures in there. But Smolian convinced him that we was from the FARC and that we're going to need weapons. So Smolian was the one who really vouched for me. He trusted me completely. So that's huge that one of the crooks vouched for him. But, you know, as you can see, they got their suspicions. Completely. The sources had done their job and convinced them enough that Somalian felt comfortable enough to do that. Carlos had the unassuming personality where people felt comfortable with him. 
when we needed to get the difficult statements during recordings with the bad guys, he would find a way to address it and get it across the finish line. After the meeting, Carlos said, hey, he pulled me aside when we were walking back from a meal and said who we went to see. I tell you the name of my friend so that you know that it's just what you mean. Uh-huh. Is it Victor Booth? Oh, shit. Why did he I don't know. He was trying to impress me. But it also, in his mind, showed that he had a righteous arms trafficker that could supply to them. And he would get some percentage of whatever the deal was going to be. Once Simoleon said, Victor Boot, then we knew that we were in. But that's only part of it. We could have all the meetings with Andrew Simoleon. But if we don't have a sit-down meeting with Victor Boot, we're not going to get what we need. All their efforts from that moment. As y'all can see, Victor lost quite a bit of weight. Went <laughs> on were to get Victor to come in and have a meeting with Carlos and Comandante. And that's where we encountered some curveballs. Guys selling weapons to conflict areas and knowing exactly what his weapons are being used for. It wasn't for peacekeeping purposes. It was for death and destruction. So we felt it was really important that once we started taking ground, we needed to get it done as quickly as we could. In Copenhagen, after Somalian had relayed that, yes, it was Victor Boot, that he was interested in pursuing the sale with, with Somalian and the FARC, we devised a meeting location because for DEA to get the investigation done, we needed to have a sit-down meeting with Victor Boot. So we chose Romania for that meeting. There were a bunch of benefits. If we made an arrest, hey, shout out to Romania. <laughs> In Romania, they have a solid extradition treaty and they had very good judicial capabilities to monitor phones. So that was our first thing to meet. And also they have some of the best internet in the world, guys. There's a reason why um, Romania is a huge hub for webcam, a uh, huge hub for webcam. Um, some of the best streaming slash internet in the, in the world, man. And they were kind of like innovators. It's how the Tates made their first million was webcamming and getting webcam girls from and running it out of Romania. And also, guys, you got to remember when you're doing international operations like this, where you do meetings and everything else like that is extremely important because you got to make sure that they have certain things in place that could facilitate your undercover operation pre uh, appropriately, right? Like, oh, do they have up-to-date technology? Can we bring our technology in there? Uh, do they have good treaties with the United States? Do we have good foreign relations with them? Uh, are we going to be able to extradite? These are all things that come into play, right, when you're trying to conduct an undercover operation, which is a government action, by the way, in a foreign land, all right? Obviously, you can't do something like this in China. They would never allow it, right? Or Russia, hell no, right? So you got to do it where you're still able to conduct your operation in a safe way in a friendly country. With the Romanian counterparts. Once we did that, we set the time. Smulian came in to... Also, you got to keep in mind corruption as well. You know, a lot of places... Um, you know, when you're working with certain countries, right? Like I remember when I was on the, on the Mexican border and we would work with the, with the Mexican Marines or whatever, uh, or the, the Colombians, right? When I was here in Miami, uh, you always have to deal with something called a vetted unit, which means that they went through a background check, right? A government, a U.S. government background check to ensure that they're not corrupt because a lot of these countries, you know, I hate to say it, man. I know some people say the police in America are corrupt too. It doesn't come close to the corruption in some of these other places like South America, especially Eastern Europe. So you really got to make sure that the law enforcement counterparts on the other side also 
are squared away. Because even though people talk shit about the United States, we still have some of the best. There's a reason why we're, we have the reserve currency. And a big part of it is the United States has rule of law. And I know we're not the best, but we're better than a lot of other places in the world. The Romania, Carlos was in Romania. The other FARC role player, Comandante, was in Romania. All their efforts from that moment on were to get Victor to come in. And that's where we encountered some curveballs in getting Victor to Romania. When we are in Romania waiting for Victor, we talked to him on the phone and we told him that we need the weapons, that we got the money, and we need to meet face to face with him to finalize the business. One of the things that we did say to Victor was that we had money in Romania. It was millions of dollars in cash, and that cash was waiting for him in Romania. That actually made the deal sweeter because Victor wouldn't want money in a bank going to him to pay for this because he's already been sanctioned. He wanted the cash. So that was the enticing carrot to get to Romania. And one thing that you can count on from people like Victor Boo is that it's all about money. He said that he's going to try to get to Romania and he's trying to get the visa. Victor was trying to get a visa, but it wasn't that easy. He was told that he can get it in a couple of days and then this progressed for another day. And then Victor said, it might be easier if you just go across the border. And we couldn't do that. So we had to come up with an excuse. <laughs> My bad, Mr. Producer. Yeah, he wanted to uh, meet them in fucking Moldova, guys. What the hell? For some of you guys that are wondering, Moldova is in the middle of fucking nowhere. Definitely not somewhere you want to do a meet. Um, not safe either. <laughs> it's like mountain lands. All right, I think uh, Tate, uh, the Tate brothers told a, a very interesting story. You guys could go check them out on Rumble, rumble.com slash Tate speech of how they got jumped in Moldova. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, being with some being with some uh, Moldovan girls. They got some really beautiful women over there, but it's all village land, man. And the men don't take well to, uh, you know, foreigners, especially first world foreigners taking their women. Another excuse because we just don't have the ability to go across a border. These things have to be coordinated. And there was a lot of discussion with Boot on other locations. If you can't meet in Romania, and he kept coming up with places that were bad for us Cuba, Nicaragua, Vietnam. Yeah, hell no. <laughs> None of those countries are places that you want to meet and do an undercover operation. Cuba, fuck no. You would never be able to do it. We were worried because every time he came up with something to make it easy, we came back and said, well, it's not that easy for us. And, and mostly bad guys will change the way that they do things to get get it across the finish line. We did not have that ability because we can only work in certain countries that will support our efforts. I was just thinking I have to convince him to come and finish the deal. And what we heard next was the, the most shocking part. Someone told Victor, it's not safe for you to go to Romania. That was like the kill switch. Uh, that was like, this block. is going down the tubes immediately, and it's going down fast, and we're going to lose this. Our big concern was like, is he playing us? Because he couldn't get the visa, because people were telling him that it's not safe for him to go to Romania, we needed to regroup. The team and I discussed what our next move would be, and we collectively decided that while risky, the right thing to do and the most realistic thing to do was to leave Romania and walk away. Good call. Only cops wait, my friends. You know, this happens all the time. We're trying to do a deal or whatever, and the bad guy's showing up late or whatever. Nah, you fucking leave. Can't make it like, oh, yeah, let's just wait. Like, no, nah, man. Uh, only only cops and feds wait. It would plant a seed in Boots' mind that, well, maybe they're going to find another arms trafficker. 
This may put more pressure on Victor to close the deal. And before the source left, Carlos had a conversation with Victor on the phone. Hola, amigo, ¿cómo está? Um, muy bien, muy bien, ¿y usted? Bien, bien. Aquí un poquito triste porque no nos pudimos ver, pero que yo quiero decirle es que la organización siempre necesita amigos como usted. Carlos made it clear, he said, I have to leave, let's be back in touch. The risk when we left was that he was going to walk away and the case would just die. It was a calculated risk. No quiero cerrar la puerta con usted para que nos mantengamos en contacto. Le estoy dejando información al amigo que está aquí, a su amigo. Mm -hmm. Carlos provided an email. So Victor also speaks Spanish. <laughs> oh, man. Ah, this was such an L trade for the United States. The guy speaks Russian, English, uh, Portuguese, um, Spanish, uh, Farsi. I think he speaks Arabic as well. Yeah. Crazy. He was a linguist for the Soviet Union. To Andrew Smulian to give to Victor and said to contact him on that when Victor was ready. It was a risk to leave Romania. We could have stayed there longer, but it just wouldn't look right. Cops would wait. Cops would wait till whenever. You'd wait. But we were like, at some point, yeah, you got to get out of there. We've got to get out of there. Yep. Good call. When we left Romania, we were completely frustrated with ourselves. The sources were. And I can see why they'll be mad. Guys, it costs thousands upon thousands of dollars to fly agents, equipment, informants, uh, you know, other personnel that might be that might be needed there. You know, getting the hotel rooms, wiring up hotel rooms to go ahead and do the undercover operation like it probably cost them easily. 10 grand plus to get all the tickets, hotels, equipment over there, get, you know, uh, plane tickets, all that stuff. Very expensive, man. So I could see the frustration to make this deal happen and not making it happen and why they're like, fuck, you know, because you're, you're, you're down significantly, right, from, from a cost-benefit analysis, right, as far as um, covering the trip. It ain't, it ain't cheap to do undercover operations, especially abroad. Frustrated. We were trying our best to get it across the finish line. We were unsure about what the next step was to make this investigation successful. I was worried we would never hear from Victor again. When we left Romania and went back to the United States, forget how long it was, maybe a week or so, an email came in. It says, this is a friend of Andrew. And the email address was registered to Victor Boot. We were all like, this is not possible. Like, if a guy is notorious as Victor Boot is most wanted, why would he ever register an email address under his own name? It stupid. stupid. Certainly does. We all thought it was stupid. So after the email came in, there was some communication between Carlos and Victor to try to figure out where a meeting could take place. And we knew that Russians didn't need a visa to get into Thailand. We had a great office in Thailand. We had great counterparts, and there was an extradition treaty there. Bam. So that right there is the key. So our decision was to have Carlos tell Victor, I'm going to be in Thailand early in March. Can you meet me there? And when Carlos got the word back that he agreed, it was like elation for all of us. I mean, we were just like, now we can maybe get this across the finish line. So we traveled over to Thailand, briefed up the Thais, and waited to see if Victor would show up. We still thought at any stage he could get spooked, he might not get in, it's all talk, he's not going to come. You don't want it to fall apart when you've come this close. 
And the reason why they got to brief up the ties, guys, is because um, the ties, right, they're the, lo- they're the ones that are going to run the operation. You're operating in a foreign country. Uh, yes, you can suggest, hey, this is what we want to do. This is what we're trying to get done. But at the end of the day, operationally, the Thai law enforcement are the ones in charge because it's their country, right? You're just there as a guest. March 6th, 2008, we hoped that Victor would show up. We still thought at any stage he could get spooked. He might not get in. It's all talk. He's not going to come. That creates some anxiety, and you don't want it to fall apart when you've come this close. But we had people at the airport doing surveillance, and then we got word that he had landed and got off the plane, and and we knew at that point that we were very close. Once Victor arrived in Thailand, he was with another individual, and we learned that that individual was his bodyguard. And both those individuals, Victor and the bodyguard, were surveilled from the time that they exited the plane to the time that they arrived at the Sofitel Hotel. I received a call from Wim. He told me that Victor arrived. Get ready. There was adrenaline inside me. I going to have the merchant of death in front of me. I have to do everything right to get him in jail. So once they arrived at the hotel, arrangements were made for Victor to meet with Carlos. Carlos was located in the mezzanine area, and Victor came up and sat down with Carlos and with Andrew and with his bodyguard and proceeded to do introductions. And I think one of the first things that came out from Victor to Carlos was, I'm sorry about your loss. The FARC had just lost one of their senior commanders in Colombia. And Victor had done his research on this and was testing the source. And Carlos was sharp enough to say, yes, thank you very much. And he mentioned the, the commander's name during that conversation, which probably put Victor at ease. Ah, see, man, this dude is not stupid, guys. You know what I mean? Besides sending you that, that dumb email. Stupid. But besides that, hey, if I'm going to meet you in person, let me make sure I know who the hell I'm talking to. Oh, yeah, one of your commanders died, bro. Oh, rest in peace. And you want to see if he knew who the guy was. And this is the importance of having good informants that know what the hell is going on and know how to play that role. We were sitting on the on the bar. Uh, we was drinking tea. So we started talking a little bit, and we decided it was a good place to have uh, this type of conversation. Victor said, let's go up to the 27th floor. There's a business center up there, and they go up to the meeting room to have the meeting there. Carlos's safety and the safety of the other sources is one of our number one concerns. Victor is one of the most ruthless arms traffickers in the world. Weapons certainly could be smuggled in through Russian criminal networks in Thailand, which are rampant. So we had no idea if Victor was bringing a gun to that meeting. There are so many unknowns. So they went up to the conference room, and what was going to take place next was the commandante, the other source, was going to come into the meeting and really talk about what was needed on the ground with the FARC. It would draw out the discussion of what particular weapons were needed, what the conflict was about, and what Victor could do to support the needs of the FARC. All right, so as y'all can see, this is very important because they need to be able to establish, hey, this is what we need, etc. And they need to be able to show that not only is, you know, about able to supply said weapons, but that he he's intends to do it and he's capable of doing it, which at this point they know that he's capable of doing it. But it's one thing to know one thing and be able to prove one thing. And that's why um, it's so important that they're, you know, recording this conversation. They have the informants there, etc. I'll tell you all this, though. Them informants 1,000% got fucking burned because 
this is the, the thing that sucks about having informants meet bad guys and why you want to get inter- undercovers involved so that you can get rid of the informant is because when you get the undercover involved, well, he can come in and testify later on, right, as a very credible source because he's an undercover agent. But when you have informants dealing with the bad guy directly and you want to prosecute the case, well, guess what? Their witness is the investigation. So if you go ahead and you want to have um, uh, they want to go to trial or something like that, well, guess what? Those sources got to come in and testify. This happened on 6 ix case when he went to trial. That informant, right, testified against 6 9 the one that they had the truck wired up on that witnessed the robbery. So uh, that's the one thing is that informants, if they're that close to criminal activity where they're actually facilitating it, they got to come in and testify. And after that, they can't be an informant anymore. So they burn their sources for sure. And DEA always does this shit, man, burning their sources, which is why I don't like having so many informants involved. But I get it. Something like this, you ain't going to be able to get an agent in there to be able to pose as such a good uh, FARC role player like these guys are. Just boot, we had to establish probable cause that there was a conspiracy, that he knew who the FARC was, that he knew he was entering into a weapons deal with them. He knew these weapons were going to be used to kill Americans and kill officers and other officials. And it's also important that the FARC guys, a key other thing as well, they said it earlier in the documentary, is that the FARC at this time was designated as a foreign terrorist organization. That is huge for them to be able to prove their case when it comes to material support for a um, for a terrorist organization. Uh, so we're, and I'm actually going to read, show you guys the court documents after this. Okay. They got, I got the indictment and the criminal complaint only on fucking federal Victor Bell stuff here, guys, for a few months now, um, you guys have been requesting him, but you know, given the circumstances with him, the Brittany Griner trade, uh, I think a lot more people are going to be wise up now and want to figure out who the hell this guy actually is. Let's get back into it in the U.S. government, that he knew that he was going to be acquiring and using surface-to-air missiles, and those were the, the guidelines of what we had to establish. So, Comandante explained that he was fighting against the Americans. The Americans were killing his people. They were uh, helping the Colombian government, and Boot said, this is my fight, too. They are my enemy also. Fuck the Americans. The Comandante really brought it home. They talked about how they needed these service-to-air missiles to shoot down the American Apache helicopters, how they needed to kill these Americans. They explained that they needed sniper rifles with sights so that the FARC could, as they described, blow the heads off the American pilots. He knew that we were fighting against the United States. He don't care if we want to kill America. He was happy that we were going to use his weapons to kill the Americans. That was... Bro, and we traded fucking Brittany Griner for this dude, bro. <laughs> oh my God. Yo, oh, here's the thing. Like, a lot of people don't know this, but this is actual recording evidence from that investigation. He knows what the hell were these, you know, these fart guys want to use it for. They want to snipe American pilots, right, off these Apache helicopters so that they can go ahead and make sure that these Colombians that are trying to kill them in the forest are dead. Wild, bro. When we believe that... Al Biden, Al Biden. We got all the evidence that we need against him. 
as the meeting was taking place on the 27th floor when the other agents and I were waiting with the Thai counterparts in this hotel room. We were waiting for a predetermined phone call from Carlos that the negotiations were wrapping up, all the points had been hit, and it was now time for the Thai counterparts to go up and make the arrest. After he agreed, I made the call to tell that we finished the deal. And the agents said, well, wait, 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 we need more time. We, more, we need more time. What room are you in? And that, that information never got relayed. We knew they were on the 27th floor, but we just didn't know which room. And I don't know which room it was. I just tell them that I was in the conference room. There was a moment of panic. So myself, Lou, and all the other Thai arresting officers made our way up in the elevator. And I'm sitting in the back of this group as they're walking down this, this business center with all these doors. And they all walked by this one door that was shut. And I remember I opened up the door, I stuck my head in, and I could see Victor Boot right there. And I immediately shut the oh, door. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> and I'm like, guys, over here, over here. They're here. And they all had to turn around. And that's when they made the entry into the room. All right. What is the lead Thai cops had their guns drawn and told Victor and Andrew and everyone else in English to get their hands up. And Victor was froze and was stunned. His hands were in a bag, his bag. And when the head Thai commander was telling Victor, let me see your hands, let me see your hands. And Victor was very hesitant about taking his hands out of his briefcase. Oh, shit. And I really thought at, at one point that Thai officer was going to just light him up. The Thai cops were absolutely dialed in on him and his hands and gave the commands again. Hands up! Hands up! And then everyone complied. Everybody was put up against the wall. Actual real footage of the arrest. You know, you can see here Victor in the orange. His friend <laughs> that fucked up and introduced him to the DEA people in the first place. And here's the Thai police and handcuffed and then the arrests were made after he got arrested he was brought to the thai police station and we sat down with him and we explained to him about who the people that he had been meeting with and that they were all sources of the dea and his first response was i guess you hold all the cards he knew that he'd been beat and when the thais when they arrest somebody they never just do a very quiet arrest Oh, this is hilarious what, what the Thai fucking did here, guys. <laughs> Christina Lappin should remember this. Yo, this was ridiculous what these dudes did after this shit, bro. They put the bad guys in front of TV cameras, and that's exactly what happened the next day. It was on television. There were hundreds of people there. It was a circus atmosphere. Bruh. It was laid out in front of everyone, in front of all the media. They announced the charges. This got them said their hair like, bro, what the <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yo and here's the thing too i want to let y'all know when you commit when you uh you know conduct an arrest in a foreign country you don't really dictate the terms bro i guarantee you a big part of the tie saying yo we will assist you in this investigation and we will assist you with making this arrest happen whatever they probably told da just so y'all know we're gonna pray them around after we get them bro they and they're the like name. all right what can we do we can't tell y'all not to so <laughs> Um, bam. So they they got them just sitting there where everybody like, bro, what the fuck? They want to claim it. They want to show everybody. Yeah, like, yes, <laughs> yeah, this is fucking funny. Because remember, guys, he's an international arms, you know, trafficker. Everyone knows who the hell this dude is, bro. So this is hilarious. 
And then we began the extradition process. Guarantee a big part of them, uh, you know, saying, yo, we'll extradite them and make it as quickly as possible for you was them being able to do this little press release thing that they did here. Because the extradition process, guys, is a big pain in the ass, man. I've done it before. And it's 100% contingent upon the country that you deal with. When you're dealing with a friendly country, the extradition process can take maybe a couple weeks, a couple months. When you're dealing with a country that isn't as friendly, bro, it could take damn near years. So, you know, this is what it's, you know, this is being diplomatic, having good diplomatic relations. And, you know, hey, I do this, you do that for me. So guaranteed um, this the, the DEA, you know, doing this with, Thai, with the Thai police and letting them kind of do this. Uh, it made things, it greased the wheels for making this extradition nice and smooth and getting them over to the United States fairly quickly. But Victor knows an awful lot. So there was that concern that someone would not want him to cooperate and could have him killed before we could get him back to the United States to face justice. Today's arrests mark the culmination of a long-term DEA undercover investigation that spanned the globe, and it marks the end of the reign of one of the world's most wanted arms traffickers. Through the whole investigation, you're worried that this is not going to get across the finish line. And that worry even existed after Victor Booth got arrested because he's still pending extradition. You can arrest somebody and say, oh, I did a great job, I arrested him, but that doesn't get you across the finish line. A successful investigation against Victor Boot doesn't take place until he sits in a courtroom and he's successfully prosecuted. We knew it would take some time, but there ended up being an awful lot of meddling, pressure from Russia, behind the scenes attempts at corruption. I mean, literally there were times with women, the agents, where they would call me and say, are we gonna lose this? Because it was very touch. Yeah, because the Russians don't want to lose him. I mean, hell, guys, they, they, they waited all this time to get him back. Why? Because he's an asset to Russia. And it's a big deal because now we're not talking about a cartel guy. We're talking about Victor Booth. Here's a guy selling weapons to conflict areas, knowing that these weapons are going to be used for people to kill each other and knowing that these weapons will never go away. He was an accessory to violence on a scale that is beyond comprehension. Having traveled to many of these countries, whether it was Sierra Leone, where you're seeing people with their hands cut off because they didn't want them to use weapons against them or countries like Kenya, everybody has an AK-47. Those weapons are still there, causing more and more conflict. After more than two years of extradition proceedings, a Thai court ordered Boot extradited to the United States. After the extradition had been approved, we flew in to fly him out. He was transferred from the prison. There was certainly a big security risk because Victor knows an awful lot. Lost a lot of weight in that Thai prison. So there was that concern that someone would not want him to cooperate and potentially could have him killed. The Russian government, concerned about his intimate knowledge of military and intelligence operations, fought for his return to Russia. So when he was transferred from the prison, the Thai counterparts and our agents over there sent a decoy team. And then another team was sent with Victor to the plane the formal transfer took place, 
and we got him on the plane, got him situated, and we flew back. We had him on the plane, and he acted like a complete gentleman. He was very articulate. No, didn't cause any problems. He just sat there, did his thing. It's not entirely game over, but I think from their perspective, they realize once your wheel's up leaving that country and you're heading back to the United States, they can't bribe their way out. They can't maneuver. They're in for the long haul now. When we got off the plane, got him into an armored vehicle and then caravaned down to Manhattan Correctional Facility, processed him and turned him over to the Bureau of Prisons then left and had a drink. That's a big case, man. I was happy that everything is finished, that we got the evidence. We did everything that we planned to do. We went around the world chasing Victor Wood, and we did it. We captured the most notorious arm dealer on the world, Victor Wood. October 12th, 2011. Lasted approximately three weeks. Andrew Smullyan decided to cooperate, pled guilty, and testified in open court against Victor Booth. Oh, shit. Smullyan was ultimately sentenced to five years in prison. No wonder he tested, trial, testified. I testified against Victor Booth. There was something nice to see him on court. He was sitting in front of me when I was testifying against him. Boot has long denied any connection to arms dealing, saying he was simply in the air transport business. Whatever the case, this businessman once said to be untouchable, now awaits his fate in federal court. The jury came back, I believe it was November 2nd, 2011, after a few hours of deliberating and announced a unanimous verdict, guilty on all counts. Bam! Conspiracy to, conspiracy to kill officers and other United States officials, conspiracy to acquire and use surface-to-air missiles, and conspiracy to provide material support to oh, a designated foreign terrorist organization. And when he got sentenced, and he turned around and pointed at myself and the other agent and said, your time will come. Oh, shit. Did you that as a threat? Yes. I mean, that actually shook me up because, you know, in all my time of law enforcement and all my time of arresting individuals i've never actually felt that way before and we're not death. talking your time about will some fish your time we're will talking come. about victor boot he was sentenced april 2012 to 25 years the mandatory minimum putting a guy like victor boot behind bars for 25 years i feel good about it I live in. You probably cooperated to get that time. And here's the thing, guys. He would have stayed in prison. Here's the BOP website right here. He would have stayed in prison until August 19th, 2029. But look at that. Big fat, not in BOP custody. <laughs> All right. I wonder why. In Africa, I see day in and day out how Victor Boot had done so much damage in that continent. And that damage continues today. I was in Mozambique not too long ago where there was terrorist attack that took place in a city that was just in the day before. And this was done with weapons, probably provided by Victor Boot. Will it solve this very complicated problem completely? No, but it's a lot better than just talking about it. At least we did something with it. I constantly remind myself and say, you know what? I did something to try to counter that. And knowing that 
People have been trying to stop this individual for years and didn't have the ability. Yet a small group of individuals all banded together to take down somebody as notorious as Victor Boot. And I'm very proud of what the team did. In reality, eso es eh, ayudar a capturar a personas como el, el señor Victor Boot es, es bastante satisfactorio. Yeah, big case, guys, big case. This conviction, the case, sends a message to all the transnational criminals throughout the world. The Manzer Alcazars, the Victor Boots, the other transnational criminals that we've investigated and successfully prosecuted, that nobody is untouchable. Well, until a WNBA player decides to smoke weed and go into a country and then she gets traded for a <laughs> an armed shocker that decided to go ahead and help foreign terrorist organizations. But hey, who's counting, right? So, all right, guys, let me show you guys some of the court documents real quick. As you guys can see, here's the sealed criminal complaint that they used against Boot, okay? And uh, as you guys know, the way it goes is you do a criminal complaint. A criminal complaint is used, right, to um, – can you hit hide there, Christina, on your screen? I think it's from yours on the bottom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just hit the, the, the bottom thing. No, not, not that. You got to – Wait. You got to hit that thing where it says hide in the corner. Wow. Yeah. It just means I don't know yeah. anything. Right here. Oh, I can't see that. Right there. That's so tiny. Give Christina the stupid. <laughs> anyway, that was so tiny. yeah. Anyway, um, so as you guys can see, eighteen USC. Um, <clears throat> scroll down, Christina, because you have to scroll. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, eighteen USC. You're right, and all the different uh, violations. Two two three nine B and then a two a three two three A as you guys know. So I've explained this before, but the way criminal complaints work is you write an affidavit, right? And that affidavit is in support of an arrest warrant. Okay, and then you can use that arrest warrant to go pick up your guy. So scroll down real quick. So it's for Victor Boot and for Andrew Smullyan. Keep going, keep going. So okay, boom. Southern District of New York as Robert F. Um Zacharias Switzk. I'm probably butchered that. Uh, being duly sworn to Posen says that he is a special agent of the Drug Enforcement Administration and the charges as follows. And then, bam, uh, you know, conspiracy to provide material support to foreign terrorist organizations. Scroll down. Keep going. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Different. Uh, all the different charges. And this and this goes ahead and outlines all the facts of the case. Just keep scrolling. Keep scrolling. Okay. Yeah, just keep going. Right. The FARC. They have to name what the FARC is, what it does. Right, the background. the background on him, right on this investigation, right CS one, which stands for confidential source, right, and they go through all the facts of the investigation, all the undercover meetings. Keep going. They met in the Netherlands. They didn't talk about that in the documentary. Uh, Copenhagen, Denmark. Keep going. Right, Bucharest, Romania. So informative. Yeah. This is the actual complaint that outlines all the investigative efforts because and as the agent, you're putting out all the facts that, you know, uh, that allow you to establish probable cause to go ahead and get your arrest warrant. Right. So, boom. So he signs it. Then after they get boot arrested. Right. They probably came back and indicted him. So click that single tab real quick. The indictment, guys, now is a formal charge. With the indictment now? Yeah. Click that. Yep. In the indictment. Right. You got to go ahead and convene a grand jury. You present your case. And then once you get a true bill of indictment, that's the formal charge. OK, and then here's the official charges they actually hit him with in court, uh, in trial. Right. Because your complaint, sometimes you might use a charge and they're like, you know what? No, we don't want to indict on that. We're just going to use this instead. So conspiracy to kill United States nationals. Right. Keep going. Keep going. Right. And you guys can find this on Pacer as well. Keep going. 
Then they talk about the FARC, right? Because that's a very important yeah, component yeah. to this charge. Keep going. Conspiracy. All right. Conspiracy to kill United States nationals. Again, another count on that. Overt acts, right? there, And then now these are all the meetings with the undercovers, right? And I could read through all this, but I figured you guys, you know, the documentary did a really good job of covering it, and it won't, I don't want to put you out of sleep. But this is the actual document here, um, the, the official charging document from the grand jury, a.k.a. The indictment. This was done out of the Southern District of New York. As you guys know, the Southern District of New York is probably one of the best prosecutorial venues in the United States. They prosecuted some of the biggest cases. Count two, conspiracy. Scroll up, scroll up, scroll up, scroll back up. What is it? Uh, conspiracy to kill officers and uh, employees of the United States, right? AKA government employees, military guys. Scroll down. More overt acts, right? Because anytime you have a conspiracy, guys, the conspiracy is basically an agreement. Account three. Okay, conspiracy to acquire and use anti-aircraft missiles. That's a big one, right? Um, anytime you, you have a conspiracy case, guys, you need an agreement between two or more parties and you need an overt act. And an overt act is doing something in furtherance of said crime. Okay, so it's fairly easy to prove conspiracy. Conspiracy to provide material support or resources to a foreign terrorist organization, which in this case was the FARC, right? That's how the informants and the were able to play it up really well. And this is where the agents became uh, creative, right? More overt acts, et cetera. But you guys get the idea. Um, and then there's the forfeiture allegations, what they're going ahead and trying to actually take from Victor Bout, which in this case, I guarantee is probably quite a bit of money and some other things. Um, but yeah, cool. All right. Uh, so yeah, guys, that right there covers the Victor Boot investigation. Um, and yeah, now y'all can see for real uh, why we traded a holographic Charizard for a fucking common level Pikachu, man. But hey, you know what? Al Biden. What are your thoughts on this, Christina? I mean, we spoke about this like how long? But yeah, I mean, yeah, stupid. I just don't get why they... I mean, they had been in talks for trading yeah. her with, to him for a while, but I'm actually shocked but that they went through with it and they didn't get the Marine as well. They should have got mad. the Marine and her, and, and, um, and her, but they only got her, which is... But here's the thing, though. Like, if you're going to another country, you know the rules. You can't be smoking. In a lot of yep. countries, you're not allowed to have that. So, yeah, you got in trouble because you shouldn't be doing it. You thought you were an exception. Yep. No. That, what about the Marine? That's more messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's like he's that's no. He was there serving his country that's, and then we went ahead and brought somebody back that d doesn't even, you know, also uh, like, that takes a kneel during the uh, how about uh, the DAs that this did this whole their national anthem. What's that? The DAs like they're probably just like what the hell's going on? Oh yeah, yeah. DEA is definitely pissed off about this because they spent a lot of that. resources. He only served 10 years of a sentence, not even half. Yeah, DEA is definitely tight about this. I'll tell you all that. Nah. Yeah. Uh, and the US Attorney's office is probably not happy about it either. But hey man, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Sleepy Joe got to get those votes. But anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed that podcast. Hope you guys learned something. Uh, now you guys know the real story behind the Merchants of Death. Uh, and yeah, I'll catch you guys on the next episode of Fed It. Love y'all. Don't forget to like the video on your way out. Subscribe to the channel. I'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. I was a special agent with Homeland Security Investigations, okay, guys? HSI. The cases that I did mostly were human smuggling and drug trafficking. No one else has these documents, by the way. Here's what FedEx covers. Dr. Lafredo confirmed lacerations due to stepping on glass. Murder investigation. You see him reaching in his jacket. You don't know. And he's positioning. Been on February 13, 2019. You're facing two counts of premeditated murder. Racketeering and RICO conspiracy. Young, young slime life. Here and after referred to as YSL. The defendant's 6'9". Uh,
and then this is Billy Seiko right here. Now, when they first started, guys, 6ix9ine ran with... I'm a fed. I'm watching this music video. You know, I'm bobbing my head like, hey, this shit lit. But at the same time, I'm pausing. Oh, wait, who this? Right? Oh, who's that in the back? Firearms and violent crimes. A.K.A. Bushite violated. In order to stay away from the victim. Rapper Bushite arrested after shooting at King of Diamonds, Miami Strip Club, injured one person. The, this is the one that, that's going to fuck him up because this gun is not traceable. Well, what happened at the gun range? Here's your boy 42 Doug right here on the left. Okay. Sex trafficking and sex crimes. They can effectively link him to paying an underage girl. I'm going to love my 50 and well, the first bomb went off right here. Inspired by Al Qaeda, two terrorists, brothers Dzokar Sarnev and Tamer Lin Sarnev, when the cartel shipped drugs into the country. As this guy got arrested for um, espionage, okay, trading secrets with the Russians for monetary compensation, the largest corrupt police bust in New Orleans history. The days of the police are gone. gone.